Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Well, I asked you listeners to send in questions and then we selected questions and we invited certain the people whose questions we've selected to join me on the podcast to discuss their questions. And I'm really excited to have Jessica Moore with, with me today. We, and we, she asked me very detailed questions about what happens to a child's brain after they have survived domestic violence. She also wanted to know how long does it actually take to rewire the brain that they feel that they can control their lives again. And then also, do they have to fight wanting to use violence as an adult? She was very concerned, is this hereditary? So we really dive into this. So it's a really great podcast to listen to, and I know you're going to learn a lot. But just before we begin, I have a great new book coming out on August 8 called How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess, A Guide to Building Resilience and Managing Mental Health. This is what you've been waiting for. I wish I had this as as when I was a young parent. This book spans the ages of 3 through 10 and it will help you help your child use the neurocycle to manage anxiety, depression, toxic thoughts, just managing the challenges of life. It's filled with practical tips and all kinds of things and if you pre-order now, there are great pre-order bonuses. So go to the link in the show notes and pre-order now. Let's get on to the podcast. Welcome, Jessica. I'm very thrilled to have you on the show and just want to thank you for participating and being vulnerable. I mean, I've read your question. You were selected because your question is something that I believe is going to help so many people. And just, you know, first of all, I'm so sorry for what you've gone through. And my listeners will hear why I'm saying that to you now when you tell us your story. But I'm sorry for what you've gone through, and I'm very impressed with how you've actually turned your life around. So, Jessica, please just tell us a little bit about your background and why you're on the show and what your question was. Thank you, Dr. Leaf. My name is Jessica, and I am a survivor of domestic violence. I have four children, and we are all survivors of domestic violence. We have been out of that environment for the last 12, 13 years. And we're very open about our story. We work hard to help set others free. We believe that somebody else's sin is not our shame. And so we've worked hard as individuals and as a family to become healthy. And I had some questions about rewiring the brain as far as it comes to children and surviving domestic violence. And, you know, what I, I have some questions in regards to like what happens to a child's brain when they have experience domestic violence and how long would it take to rewire and you know heal residual effects of domestic violence you know do do children tend to fight that is it a guarantee that when they grow up they're gonna have those same tendencies well excellent question and very serious question and so I, I want to start with the end the second part of the question and then go back to the other part of the question Everything that a person experiences is going to physically wire into the mind, the brain, and the body. So it becomes embodied. But it's not a permanent thing. What happens to you will always be there, but what it looks like inside of your brain and your body and your mind, three different things that work together, is that can be changed. So the potential for someone to repeat the patterns, we see that all the time in history. We see that all the time. I mean, you've just got your master's in counseling, which is amazing. So congratulations. You just told me before we started and you would have also, this is a standard. We understand that patterns can perpetuate and very often someone who's been bullied will bully and someone who's been abused will abuse. And that is because it's unmanaged. 
So if we don't deal with stuff, if we don't get to the source and deconstruct and reconstruct, recognizing that you cannot change what's happened to you, but you can change, and this is key to your question, you can change what it looks like inside of you and therefore how it plays out into your future. And that is absolutely critical. So the question, the part of the question where you say, is it hereditary? No, it's not hereditary. What will happen is that the experience that of, and, um, of the abuse, and we can go into a little bit more detail in a moment, would have been an experience that wired into the brain. I want to see if I've got my toxic trees here, and no, I don't have them here. But there's those of you that if you've watched me, you've seen I talk about the trees all the time. Everything that you go through from the moment you wake up till the moment you go to sleep, from the time that a certain point in the womb, you're not sure at what point, until the age that you're at now, every experience has become part of you, part of your psychoneurobiology. So for sure, every incident of the abuse and seeing the abuse of the siblings and of you and of the situation and all the detail, all of that is inside mind, brain and body. It's an experience that they've had. The beauty of of neuroplasticity and of the mind-brain-body connection and psychoneurobiology, whatever you want to call it, is basically that that's not going to dictate our future if we manage it. So the good news is that it's not hereditary. It will, it, it, it's in them, but it doesn't mean that they're going to do it if it's, if it's managed. If it's unmanaged, there's no guarantee what will happen, whether it will come out in abuse, whether it will come out in more major mental health crises, whether it'll come out in you know suicide, who knows what. So that's why it's so absolutely critical. Physical illnesses, challenges with physical health, you know, the impact will come out somewhere, but that volcano will explode. And that's probably what we want to do is we want to manage the explosions so that we can get the do- volcano dormant. And once it's dormant, as we know, the volcano, the dormant volcano is still there, but it's no longer exploding. I actually put up a there was something on my social media the other day with the volcanoes exploding, that kind of thing. It's just such a great analogy to think of. So, no, it's not hereditary. Whatever your spouse did, your ex-husband, I'm not sure of the situation, I assume it's your ex-husband, did, there's a reason why he did that. That doesn't justify his actions ever. But there's work that he needs to obviously do to go and sort out that. Because if you track back in the history, I don't know if you've done that, if there's history of violence in his family. Okay, so there is. Oh, yes, very much. Okay, and in, in going back a few generations or just one? Yes. So his grandmother had told my father of some domestic violence. So, yes, for sure. It's somebody I grew up with and I married, and so that's how I know the family history. There's definitely an established family history of domestic violence. Okay, and so he was abused as a child as well? Yes. Okay, and so that. That was not, did they, do you know, anything? you grew up with him? Did they do anything? Was there any management of it? Was there any therapy? Was there any discussion, intervention? Or was it all just kind of? Oh, it was a hidden, it was a hidden secret. Even as I divorced him, I was accused of lying. And then the more that we broke free and told our story, we got help. We went to a therapist. It was after my divorce that he himself called me and was wanting me to know his parents had been arrested for domestic violence against his sister. And so I could hear like the little voice and the little boy in his, you know, in his heart saying like, see, I told you there had been an incident when we were married where he called my dad, my sister and his parents to the house. He had picked me up, shoved me through two doors, punched me, threw me down. 
and had called them over so that we could get help for our problems. I've done a lot of EMDR therapy for that. So that's why like I have the memories of the events, but I can talk through the events without the strong emotions. That took me years to work. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's still not my favorite thing to think about. But yes, there is definitely an established pattern. I immediately got my children in weekly therapy and we've worked on it a lot. And so I don't see the emotional outburst. What I see a lot more of is the flashbacks, the memory, almost like the obsessive intrusive thoughts that lead to either really high anxiety or a deep depression. That's, that's how I see it manifest in my children. We talk a lot about breaking generational curses, renewing the mind. So we take a lot of psychology and mix it with the word and have that faith-based aspect of it. I guess my concern is more, you know, how do I help my child with that? Just that obsessive, intrusive, I feel like I can't, I can't nip that. It's almost like a deeper root than the outburst that is not getting nipped. Mud water is a coffee alternative with four adaptogenic mushrooms and Ayurvedic herbs. With only a fraction of caffeine as a cup of coffee, you get energy without the anxiety, jitters or crash of coffee. Mud water leans on mushrooms in their blend of matcha and their blend of chai for sustained energy. Each ingredient was added for a purpose. Lion's mane, that's a mushroom for alertness. Cordyceps to help support physical performance. Chaga and Raishi to support your immune system turmeric for soreness and cinnamon for antioxidants. I personally love the delicious rest blend with rooibos chai, chamomile and cinnamon, which I mix with coconut milk and honey at night for the perfect bedtime drink. The smell and flavors are incredibly relaxing and full of nutrients my brain and body need to rest and function well. I also love that mud water is 100% USDA, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan and kosher certified. Just go to mudwater.com forward slash Leaf to support the show and use the code Dr. Lee for 15% off your order. The link and details will be in the show notes. Mm, okay, that's really well explained. Okay, so you're doing a lot of, you know, as everything you've been doing is fantastic. So you're really moving in the right direction. That's going to carry on forever. It's not going to, you know, it's, that is going to, it's a lifelong journey, as you already know. And the, so that's that's one thing I want to say. So it's not hereditary. It doesn't mean because... They have the reason you see patterns in the family is because people don't deal with it. So they that energy sort of builds up inside of you. The thoughts are there, and you don't know what to do with it because we wired for love. We every single part of our brain and our body is not designed for this. And what we are drawn as humans, we're drawn to imbalance, like something like domestic violence is imbalance. We're drawn to that not because we're drawn to that because we bad or evil or whatever. It's because we see the imbalance and we're trying to restore balance. But when you perpetually in a not negative situation, that toxic tree, that experience is really big inside the brain. So it's built physically into the brain as these protein tree-like structures. And literally what's happening is as the experience is happening of the abuse, that is all the experience is being captured, it's like big waves going through the brain, like a big tsunami is going through the brain and it creates these neurochemical responses and electromagnetic responses. And excuse me getting technical, but your question is how long does it take? So so I'm going to give you some technical to get to the point of how long and why. So it, as it's happening, each incident, each part of the incident becomes like a concept that's captured as a vibration inside the brain. So it goes in the brain as these waves. So the physical, even the impact on the body, all of that's going inside the body and into the brain. And it's been captured in the brain as little vibrations inside of little proteins that grow into these networks 
in the neurons, so the top part of the neurons. And then also in between the neurons, there's, there's space, and that's gravitational field. So there's like, like echoes, if it makes sense, of these erratic patterns being echoed like a resonance off these, off these trees. And then in the body, there's a change structurally inside every cell. And those cells have different structures, but there's something called a microtubule, which is the cytoskeleton. And it also stores, it's also these little protein structures that hold the vibration. A little bit different to the brain one. The brain one is a little bit more kind of like detailed and insightful. And the body one is more like a sensation. So, but it goes in all three places. So it's this wired experience into the networks of the brain, the gravitational fields around the brain and through the body, and then the physical change inside the actual cells. Now, based, based on that, that just shows you already the level of impact. So when we go through healing, we have to do it all. So the EMDR would have helped pull it up from the little vibrations inside the little microtubules in the cells. It would have found the areas where the energy had really clustered and, it really, and created sort of areas of pockets of, of like damage. So whatever the gut, gut is often a very first example and various you know, illnesses, whatever, there's a very strong link between the psychoneurobiology, biological change, which I show in my research as well. So essentially, when you do things like EMDR, you are finding those spots in your body and you're learning how to, as they, as they activate it, the sensations that they create, you're learning, as you know, you've gone through the process, you're learning how to deal with that incredible response that, you get triggered, that gets triggered that can be completely overwhelming and can throw you back into those ruminating patterns and the deep depressions, et cetera, et cetera. So I love the EMDR along with a lot of working through the different elements of what comes up. So. Anything like EMDR, anything like basic therapy where you start talking about your feelings and things like that, if we need to do those in a sequence that aligns with how the mind built the stuff into the brain in the first place so that we can reverse engineer that. So if we don't follow the sequence, it can make the healing process a bit jumbled and take a bit longer. So the sequence is really important. And this is, you know, in terms of how long will it take your children to heal and why they're still having, you know, the ruminating thoughts, the flashbacks, the fear, you know, that it is going to take time. There is no quick, quick answer for this. But in the healing process at this stage, you've done so much great stuff about, you know, getting, getting them to the therapy and so on. What we want to do is make sure that you prepare the brain and get the neurophysiolo- neurophysiology under control. And in, in every sort of experience of, of managing this process, so each kind of therapeutic experience. And you also want to make sure that we don't just bring things up through all the various different techniques that there are, you know, dialectical behavior therapy and, you know, mindfulness and, and well, dialectical does it, dialectical DBT does a bit more talking and that kind of thing. But you don't want to just bring things up through meditation and mindfulness. That's only one part. That's like almost like preparing the brain. You have to also go beyond that and process through that very sequentially over time to take that energy that's been built into that toxic network, each incident, each part of each incident, which are the memories, each detail of each incident, the memories coalescing into that thought tree, which every incident that happened was adding more and more to that tree, was getting bigger and bigger. And they were connected ones because they would have been like yourself and then your children and you know, your, the experience of, of worrying about your children and your children would have had it theirs, plus the experience of seeing their siblings and their parent, their mom and all of that. So it's a lot of, a lot of, like a whole forest that's connected. And because of each of our individual perceptions and coping mechanisms, each of you would have coped in your own way. 
And thank goodness you have this network that you've created and you've got a bond with your kids and you're helping them. So those are all fantastic things to help them. What you want to do is keep taking that process and pushing it in the right direction in order to rewire the brain. So healing will come. Freedom will come. That ruminating, those ruminating thoughts can become your best friend. Those intrusive ruminating thoughts that can lead to the deep depressions can become your best friend if you understand how to manage them. So key with this process is two elements. The one is to get the right sequence over the right time because your brain is pretty much a, it's, it's a very complex physical structure that works on principles of energy and order and your mind is this infinite, wise, spiritual, deep, incredibly fast intelligent thing that never gets tired. That's your non-conscious mind. Then your conscious mind is, is, it gets tired, but it's also it's, it's doing kind of the work of work, learning to work with the, with the non-conscious mind. So if we just bring stuff up and talk and don't land the plane, if we just let the planes take off and we only fly a bit and we don't have experience, if we don't sort of manage the flying, we could crash the plane. So what's happening with a lot of people in therapeutic environments is that they get really good at preparing the brain, doing the mindfulness doing the talking, bringing things up, saying, I feel like this, I feel like that, this happened, this happened, I know the root cause, finding the root cause. But if you don't go through the process over time and find uh, and do reconceptualizing in that process, the plane will crash. So in some cases, people just let the plane take off, so they just talk about feelings. In other, so they just do sort of mindfulness-based stuff, which puts a bandage on the wound, bandage on the wound, helps in the moment, excellent for neurophysiology, calming down and so on, but it doesn't rewire. It's not going to rewire the brain. It's just going to give you coping mechanisms, which we need. We need decompression. We need the meditation. We need all those things, but it's not enough. That's just letting the plane take off. We've got to fly the plane. We've got to land the plane. And that's where I developed a system of the neurocycle was how can you get all of these in as a vehicle within which you put whatever, however you decide to do brain preparation, which is all the breathing meditation. There's multiple ways, multiple ways of doing that. You put that in. But you just, what if you want to use DBT, if you want to use ACT, CBT, there's so many different systems, psychodynamic therapy, the counseling techniques you've learned, techniques that the therapists give you. There's some amazing stuff out there. You want to use those in the right sequence over the right time frame. That's really critical for rewiring. So how long does it take to rewire? It's going to take cycles of 63 to 66 days. So we don't rewire something in 24 hours, 48 hours, 21 days. It's Definite physical cycles of around about 63 days to 66 days, and it will be multiple cycles, especially with something as extreme as what you've gone through. This is on the scale of 9 and 10. If you look at a trauma scale, this is extreme trauma, and it's going to have changed and impacted your children absolutely, physiologically, mentally. It's the whole psychoneurobiology. That's a fact. We can't get away from it, but it can be, it, we can change what it looks like. But that change requires a very sequential process over time. So 15 to 45 minutes a day is what I would really encourage you to encourage your children and yourself to do, to get into a system. Take 15 to 45 minutes a day. Sounds like a lot, but it's not really when you get down to you know, brass tacks and so on. And you do it daily for 21 days. And what you do daily is the neurocycle. And I'll go through that in a, in a moment in more depth. From day 22 through 63, you're stabilizing. So you just have to do the neurocycle for five minutes a day. When you finish that, you're working on one aspect, one aspect or one part of the thought, because your thoughts, depending on how bushy they are and how much stuff is in them and how many connected areas they are, it's probably going to require maybe years of work. But every single neurocycle, this rhythm that you get into is going to be rewiring things in the right direction. And at some point, it's, it's like this sort of hyperbolic curve that goes suddenly you get this 
massive impact because you get stuck slow, 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 then suddenly it starts going faster once you get into the system. But I do anticipate probably a couple of years of hard work for each each of you, each of each of you and your children, maybe less, but you know, of like where it's quite intense. And then you'll start seeing that it's it's going to things will pop up for the rest of your life. I wouldn't stop doing it, but it will be definitely be getting easier over time. Every single sixty six days, I can guarantee that you're going to feel a hundred percent better than what you felt at the beginning of the sixty three days because of that process. What happens a lot in therapy when you know years my years of practicing clinically and working with people, or they just my experience now with the millions of people that we reach on this platform, is people will feedback. Comments like, I went to the therapy, it helped me so much, but I felt like at some point I was going in circles. And, you know, that's, you t- you sort of told me the same thing. And I'm not running, therapy is really important. I'm not running that down. It's, I'm totally all for counseling therapy. But you know, with your training now as well, that you have to empower a person to manage their mind. So it's your children that are in the ages of 15, 20, 24, and 26. They, they're the ones that are waking up with their mind in the morning at three in the morning with a panic attack or a flashback or during the day or when they're driving to work or whatever it is that they do. They can't immediately always phone you or phone your therapist or have a therapist. They've got to know how to manage their own mind, as do you 24-7, as do all of us 24-7. So priority in any, just being alive. Take the trauma out of it, just being alive. We have to know how to manage our mind. Then the next layer is we've got to damage, we've got to manage the damage. We've got to manage the impact of the different levels of damage. And so therefore, we want to understand this, the timing and the cycles. So you would do, de- you would do detoxing for the f- 15 to 45 minutes a day for the first 21 days. Why 15 to 45 for the first 21 to 40, 21 days is because that is where we see massive changes in the brain as you go through the five steps, which is to gather awareness, to reflect, to put everything on paper, which then connects the two sides of the brain and gets deep insight and introspection and then recheck and active reach. My listeners that are watching this, they know that they can get the detail of those five steps on the NeuroCycle app and in my book. And I've got a book coming out for children, how to help your child clean up their mental mess. So this is for two to 10 year olds. It comes out in August and people can pre-order that. The link is is in the show notes. But essentially, within the first 21 days, what we're doing is we are bringing the thought into consciousness and we are initially just seeing our, shall we show up, our emotions, our behaviors, our bodily sensations, our perspectives. Those, if you think of four balloons attached to a tree, as we start focusing on our emotions, it starts pulling the thought from the non-conscious into the conscious mind. The thought's got roots, a trunk and branches. It looks like a tree. As you start then recognizing the behaviors that go along with the emotions, that brings it up a bit more. As you start recognizing the bodily sensations that go along with the emotions and the behaviors, it brings it up more. As you notice the perspective, observe your perspectives and how that's influencing you in the moment in that situation, it's bringing up more. So let's say that your, let's say that one of your children, you're seeing the flashbacks in a specific situation, then you're going to be doing this work around that specific situation, whichever is the most obs- sort of detrimental to their functioning at, the, at in, in one time, in, in any time point. And I'm going to quickly explain this and then I'm going to ask you, we'll kind of walk through a little example. So we want to very sequentially start each session with a simple sentence describing each of those, understanding that an emotion never lives alone. It's always linked to behavior, to a body sensation and to a perception. A lot of times they're handled separately. 
and they get jumbled and that you, your effect is lost. The, the, the rewiring is not as organized. It won't be as effective. You won't feel as empowered to deal with the stuff. So we want to be very sequenced with it. Once you've gathered awareness of those four signals, you want to then go to the reflect, which is like shining a light through a prism where you shine the light and it comes out with a rainbow and white light becomes a rainbow of color on the other side. You want to go deep. Why do I have this specific emotion? Do I have more emotions? And you're still gathering data. You still, the gather awareness and the reflect are what are the four signals? And then, you know, what are they looking like in my life? Why do I, why am I doing these? What, what do they look like? What's the sort of shape of them? It's the branches of the tree. Because when I find those four signals, I've pulled the tree up. And as I go to reflect, I'm kind of like looking at the shape of the tree, the direct impact, the things I'm saying, the things I'm doing. How is it manifesting? Oh, in my relationship, I tend to say this, I tend to be doing this or whatever. So it's to find that's the next level down. And very specifically around those four signals, you kind of hang everything around those four signals. So it's really how it's showing, kind of showing up. That's what you're looking at at the tree level. And then it's the next little step. And you, in, in the day, you, in, in one session, it's about three minutes that you spend on each. So you're not solving it all in one day. It's very broken up. And you would dump that all on paper, all over the place. The more messy, the better, because it's going to create a very deep dive into the non-conscious mind. And then you're going to look at what you've written to find patterns and triggers. And as you know from our work, the Metacog is an ideal way to it really brings things up. And I explained that in the video and the app, in the app, and then also in the book. And then you're going to try and find the recheck is to look at what you've written and to reconceptualize it. This has happened. What can I do? And then you've created a little action. Then you do this the next day and the next day and the next day. And each day you are seeing more on the branches, more of, oh, I sort like that. That's how I cope. That was my, that was that, that on the branches is a coping a trauma response, it's a fawn trauma response, it's a people-pleasing response because of that. And you start seeing, oh, that came from there and that came from there. Because all of you know what the roots are, it's the abuse. But to see how you specifically have reacted to that incident and or that element of the incident or that reaction when they saw you cry or something like that, each of those is to see how did that manifest. So that deep work of linking the behavior that's not going to happen in one day. That's going to take time. So it'll take about 21 days to kind of make those links. And in doing that, you have weakened that neural network in the brain. And you've taken the energy of power that was sort of negative, toxic power, that energy that was stimulating your immune response to like protect you and look after you and, and think it's a pathogen and but now becoming a hyperimmune response because the issue's still there and all that kind of stuff. That's getting under control. You're getting empowered to, so that's happening slowly, but that does not happen quickly. It takes literally a full 21 days of working through this process. And as you're working through it, you may see, all right, this is too much here. There's too much in this route. So I'm just going to focus on this one aspect and I'm just going to work on this for the next 63 days. The smaller you chunk, the better you're going to, because every thought, you know, especially if the thought's big and you may want to be able to sort of pull it apart, maybe that time frame in your life or this one particular incident is really one that is one that's flashing back the most. And that's what we will, so we're going to kind of prioritize. So before you sort of dive in, you want to sort of prioritize. So whatever that one is, you then want to work on and just sort of isolate down to that and then work on that's manageable. And then once you feel you've sort of got a handle on that, which hits, ha happens around 21 days, then we're going to start practicing, okay, this is how I'm going to you know, reconceptualize it. Because you, as you're recreating, you reconceptualize data. You don't just look at all the stuff. Each day is a very 
closed sequence in that you bring it up, you see the mess, you find the trigger, what can I do today? At this point, I'm here. How can I get through today? And then tomorrow I add another layer and another layer. So each day there's a solution, but it's just a tiny part of the solution. By the time you hit day 21, you've kind of got a better solution for that aspect. And then you want to stabilize that. Before you start working on another aspect, you want to just spend five minutes a day working on stabilizing so that you've got that response to that trauma that was a coping mechanism that's not going away and it keeps evidence, flashbacks, evidence, depression, evidence, it's there, you know, that, that those are the signs. So you want to just wait, break that, you want to weaken that, that part of the root and heal that part of the root so that that gets small and, and, the, and the healthy tree gets nice and big. So it's one tree, but you're going to take the toxic side and reduce its energy. You're going to take the bad energy, put it into the good energy because energy is never lost. And that second part of stabilizing is going to happen from day 22 to 63. So at day 21, day one, it's all toxic. Day 21, it's half and half. And by day 63, it is tiny, the little toxic part, and you've got a healthy part over that. When someone's been through a lot of therapy, like your kids have, very often they're starting at the point where it's half and half. They've, they know the route, they've made some level of association, but there's still this almost stuckness. And that leads to that rumination that can become OCD-like. And then you're looking for OCDs, just basically looking for coping mechanisms to deal with that pain. You know, it's a sort of very simply linked to addiction. It's, these are behavior patterns. It's one of the signals. It's a behavior. It's not a disease. It's a behavior that's really being used to just try and deal with this energy that's inside of me that's still. So by doing this sort of analytical breakdown, as, a, as much as you can cope within a day, not too much. If it's too much and overwhelming, you stop. That's why I say 15 to 45. If you can only handle five minutes, that's fine. You do what you can handle. Some days you'll do five minutes. Some days you'll do 45. Some days you'll do the 45 and it'll trigger you and you're going to book a first session with your therapist and say, hey, I need to see you like ASAP. And then you just go and unpack what you've done. So this is something you can do yourself. Your child, your children can do themselves. And that was that that very ordered sequential process will, will rewire. Once they've done the one, then you go back and you then pick up the other aspect. And so you go on. Okay, so let's make this a little practical for the last sort of 10 minutes that we, that we have together. As comfortable as you are, either use yourself or if one of your children have, have given you permission, let's think of, of what would be if I had to ask you what is, with all this explanation, what would be the sort of top thing that is the most disruptive to your behavior currently that is manifesting in flashbacks, ruminations, whatever that's just affecting your day-to-day -day functioning or your whatever. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What jumps up into your mind? Either you can use yourself or if your children have given you permission, you can use an example from them. Whatever you're the most comfortable with. It's the blaming. And I guess we would call it gaslighting, but, you know, I did this because you made me. So he reached out to myself and my oldest in January, wanting phone numbers for all the other kids and stuff. And I just didn't reply. We live in the day of social media. If he really wanted to get their numbers, he could. And my oldest said he wasn't going to, but it stirred all that, that up. So the emails come across like, it's your fault. I don't have contact. You need to do this. It's a command demand response. And so that triggers in me that feeling of powerlessness in the story that I told you about that I can send you the link for. My son talks about an incident where I stood in front of him and intervened on his dad throwing him and punching him. And so it's constant. There was a constant pattern of you made me do this. So it's like disempowering of taking our voice. And so there's like something in me that 
still like I still get reactive to the emails. Like, what do you mean I'm keeping you from your daughters? He hasn't, he has chosen to walk away for the last seven years, but then he'll randomly pop up like that with the accusations, with the demanding, I have a permanent restraining order. I have a lot of people involved, a lot of safeguards around. I don't per se fear him coming back around, although he has like shown up in places and I've had to get cops involved in so, I mean, I guess it doesn't completely go away. I don't know if I'm really specifically answering your question. I just know like since January, you know, I'll find myself getting upset. And then if I'm upset about something, I'm using a curse word and I go, okay, I'm looking for power. I'm feeling disempowered right now because I, I know that that's when I curse. I know I'm grasping for control. I know I'm safe. Now, intellectually, I can tell you in this moment I'm safe, but I can feel it in my body. I can feel it in my brain, but it's panic. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm really sorry that, you know, that you're experiencing this. And But it's a very normal reaction to an adverse circumstance. So there's, it's okay to be feel this messiness in you and, and there's no blame. And, and you can see how long these things take. So thank you for sharing that because that blame that he's putting on you and you feeling the powerlessness, that would definitely be the tree that I would work on. And, from, and, and you know what it is. I mean, you can tell me everything. You've got all the language. You've got everything. So you can describe each element. So what I would do if I was you as a suggestion is to get a big piece of paper or get a whiteboard or something like that or get a journal, whatever you want, and actually draw a tree that you've got enough room. And actually from the don't don't you know draw the tree so that your roots can start sort of growing out if you if you can picture this. So the roots you can big piece of paper and you can do multiple trees. Okay. You can do multiple pieces of paper if you can't fit it all in one. And in fact, you know, each day you may want to you may use one for a couple of days and then keep growing them. And what you want to do in the root section is you can describe the incident like you've described it to me. And as you say, you're able to do it because you've done the EMDR. So that pain of have to a certain extent is healed, but it never goes away. So yes, you've got to the extent where you can talk about it, but it's still triggering you and still making you feel those feelings of, as you said, powerlessness and frustration and anger at the powerlessness. At this stage, that tree of yours is half and half. It can go either way. You're still being very, you know, triggered by that. What we want to get is to the point where you can shrink that incident of how he says those things to the point where you can, you know, it still hurts, but it's a hurt that is a few moments you've coped with it and you've dealt with it and you can move on and you don't, it doesn't steal your, your empowerment that you've worked so hard to regain. You know, that, that blaming, that putting it on, trying to put his issues onto you you know, you'll be able to, at this stage, it's still cutting into you and affecting how you, so you want to, does that make sense? So, you, so you've got all the languaging, you can describe it all, and that's why I want you to draw this tree. And I want you to draw the tree with literally one half that's, two halves that are equal. The one side is, and the roots are all like the ugly stuff, as much as you can deal with, remember, little bit day by day. And on the other side, you know, where you've grown and what you've done, so kind of where the counterbalances come in. And then as you draw the as you draw the branches of the tree on the one side of the ugly things coming out of the ugly roots, you know, and in terms of the ugly things, that's I still feel disempowered. I still feel like I'm being blamed. It's still getting me. It's still triggering me. Those kinds of things. Just put those on there. And then on the other side where you'd like to be. Now, you're not going to get this all in one day and you're going to do this using the five steps. So you're not going to just boom it out. OK, what you're going to do is you're going to just kind of draw the shape of the tree and then you're going to say, OK, let me gather awareness of my emotions, you know, and my feelings and my behaviors and my perspective in this moment where I'm actually standing right at the moment and do those, those, those would be like little lines coming out of the top of the tree. 
So this is today where you add. So let's say that you're starting this today. You do those coming out of the tree. So that kind of pulls this tree up. And then what you can do is say, okay, I'm going to look at this and I'm going to go to the roots and I'm going to fill in what I know is the reason why I'm feeding like this. Like you told me, fill it all in, just draw it off the roots, like little lines and little sentences, little words in bubbles. Don't let anything float. Think of roots. Each root's connected to a previous root. Nothing floats. Everything's, the sand is on the roots. The roots are connected. So draw little lines and write words on lines. And if it's a phrase, write a bubble. So in the toxic side, just describe what you can. And as you're doing it, if something pops up of, oh, I've counted that with, and some, I'm already kind of managing that by doing this, you can put that, put that on the other side, you know, of the sort of healthier roots. And then at, limit your time. Maybe for the first time, just do three minutes of each. So it's five steps, 15 minutes, okay? So three minutes, just do it quite fast. Just gather awareness of the signals, spend like a minute or two, two to three minutes doing that. And then as, you, as you've gathered awareness of the signals, the four different ones, you're still with me, the balloons, three minutes for each, then you're going to immediately go to the next step, which is reflect. Why am I doing this? And that's when you fill in the roots. Just three minutes. Just allow yourself three minutes. And if something pops up that you've already worked out how to solve it, pop it on the other side, on the other route. Then I want you to then go into the next step where you actually look at what you've done and say, okay, whatever comes out of my head now, put it wherever you think it's appropriate. So maybe it will come out the trunk. Oh, I processed it like this because the trunk is how I processed. How did I see it at that moment? Oh, that behavior pattern, which would then be a manifestation, whatever's a manifestation, whatever's like showing up, like not being able to trust people or losing your temper or I don't know, I'm just making up stuff. Whatever's something that, how, how it was showing up in your life, draw that out of the branches. Does that make sense? And just blast for three minutes. Just see what comes out. So it's more filling in on the branches and on the processing. And if something comes up in the roots, if as you're doing it, you say, oh, gosh, I've suddenly seen the connection. That is definitely linked to that. You know, just draw an arrow. That's taken you already into when you start seeing that you've stepped into the fourth step. Because when you blast it on the page where you just literally empty whatever's coming up, wherever you think it's going to fit in. If it's mainly the branches in this at this phase, but it could also doesn't mean if something comes up that's a root, pop it there, a good root. You know what? If you don't know where to put it, just put it on the page. Just whatever comes up, just dump it. And if it, if you can connect it somewhere, connect it. In the recheck, you're going to go and have a look and say, okay, we'll take another color and then start linking, circle that word. I don't know where to put that word. Actually, that's a behavior that I'm doing that's connected to that. And start seeing if you can see the patterns and the triggers. And then do that for two minutes. And then for one minute, say, okay, I'm looking at this. This is what's happened now. What can I do today now out of this? How can I, how can I handle this right now? Don't make it big. Make it small. Something very manageable. And you can say, I can see that this is, I'm stuck in this. I'm still being triggered, feeling this, this the lack of empowerment. It's still very strong. But I don't have to feel that I'm working on it. I can see where it's coming from. So it could be a little, something as simple as that. You move to active reach. Active reach will be, what can I, what do I need today to keep me anchored that I don't get thrown by this email or find myself going back while I'm making dinner or driving the car, doing whatever it is that you do. Going back to, oh, why has he done this? It's so unfair. And finding yourself going through, all, you don't allow yourself to do that. Just, okay, I'll do that tomorrow. Today, I'm just going to focus on, hey, I'm finding the reason. I'm working on this. It's okay. It's okay to be messy. Something that's very encouraging to yourself that keeps you anchored in the growth forward. Hang it onto something like a, something beautiful, like a sunset or a white rose or, I don't know, a picture of your 
children's faces when they're smiling, whatever makes you feel a burst of happiness and beauty. Does that make sense? And during the course of the day, as it pops up, try and record initially, like when it, if, if it pops up, just if you're driving, you can't record, but immediately don't allow yourself to go down the rumination route, immediately start, immediately start doing the, recall the image there, if it's a white rose and the statement is, it's okay, I've got this, I know where this is coming from. He's not going to control me forever. I'm working on this. Whatever the little statement is, write that down. In the app, there's actually a place where you can, so all this is, I guide you through this in the app. So if you do it through the app, you can see this. There's actually a little place in your app where you can type in the active reach. You can set it to remind you so it can pop up. So in addition to you responding to anything, any any time that the intrusive thought pops up, you can also have the app remind you. The point is, is to each time it comes up is you are, seeing this is the issue you're acknowledging but this is what you're doing about it and then you go to the active reach which anchors you in the progress forward that is taking energy away from that disempowerment that you're feeling and you're putting it towards a very progressive step you literally are getting yourself to start making a new path in the brain you're taking the energy from the toxicity the tree's getting smaller and smaller and smaller each time you do this and then tomorrow you pick up and i would stick with i would stick with three minutes 15 minutes for this first week and then see how you do and then then maybe you can second week you can maybe increase it to 30 minutes and then increase it to 45 and then move in that cycle wherever whatever the day feels like that you need to handle and really push through for the 63 days remembering that once you get to phase two which is very guided in the app i'd really recommend you do this with the app because it's i mean it's not expensive at all but it's really guiding you through the process and then you you know the the, the, the second phase is just the short steps does that make sense Absolutely. Absolutely. And it sounds very empowering, which I like. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Sometimes in life we're faced with tough choices and the path forward isn't always clear. Often, I have found myself at crossroads in life, faced with a number of choices that feel right, even though each one leads in a different direction. At times like these, I think it's so helpful to have someone you trust that you can talk to, someone there to help you see things from a different perspective. Whether you're dealing with decisions around career, relationships, or anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life, so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice it, the easier it gets, and therapy makes this so much easier. Indeed, therapy is a great tool, not only to learn how to make hard decisions, but also to discover positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself and isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash doctorleaf today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. It's very empowering. Now you can do that and then you want to know how to help your kids. You doing that and showing how it's helping you. I promise you when you work through a cycle of 63 days, I'd get through the whole cycle. You can tell them what you're doing, but get through a whole cycle. If you start feeling, oh, this is amazing. I need to get them going now. Don't, I don't want to stop you doing that. Encourage them because I'd like all of you to get all your kids into the neurocycle doing this because you can share with each other and you can help each other and you can have little collaborative groups where you can 
talk very in a very organized way around the neurocycle. You can literally have little family therapy gatherings. I used to do this all the time in my practice. And you're working around this guided process of the of the neurocycle and each of you adding your element about an incident or whatever. And it's very, very healing because each time it's got to end on that note of, okay, what are we going to do today? What do we need to do today? This is all we can handle today. What are we going to do to make us help us move forward? And you can collectively, you know, each of your own active reaches or share what you did or something like that. So at any point in the process, you can get your kids going. If you want to get them going today and do it parallel to you, get them going today. If they don't want to, that's fine. You do it and let them see your experience and tell your experience because your model of what you do is the best way to help your kids. When you say, hey, listen, this is what I experienced. This is what I've gone through. This is how I did it. It's so structured and organized. I have it so, I've trained so many therapists and counselors and family practitioners and mental health practitioners over the years. And so many of them, once they get the sort of structure in place and you see this, you they move their clients into this, using their techniques, but moving into this framework because it really helps to do that rewiring in the way that, you know, you've asked me. Now, I've said a lot. You've got a couple of minutes left. Would you like to, to ask any questions or would you like me to unpack anything in a little bit more detail? Is there anything you misunderstood or wasn't clear enough? No, I think it's good. I'm excited to do it. And my children, I think, will. I know two of them will definitely do it with me. One of them's starting her psychology degree. So Fantastic. Well, get them in, do it together. And then the ones that don't want to, when they see how it's helping you, that's the best model. You can't force anyone to do anything. But when they see how you are managing, I've had eight-year-olds who've been very traumatized, watching their mom do it just to help them cope with the child's trauma. I, I put that story in the book. It's a really sad story. But it has, has a happy ending. And this child watched the mom who did it in desperation for herself. And this eight-year-old said, I want to do that. And, you know, she adapted it down and it changed the child's life. And now that family neurocycles all the time, doing little mini neurocycles in, 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 like if an emergency comes up, you can do it in one minute. You can do all five steps in a minute. There's a lot of mini neurocycles. I teach that in the app as well and in the book where you can use it. It's mind management. All I'm, the neurocycle is mind management. It's how you get the messy mind under control, tuning into the wise mind and driving the changes in the brain that you want the way you want them. That's essentially what's happening. So you, so, so you, don't, you don't want your husband to steal, your, your ex to steal your power anymore. You don't want to be affected by the, when he sends those emails or he says these things. You just want, oh, you know, that's his issue. You don't want it to cut you and that stabbing in your stomach and that, oh, and that feeling of I'm not good enough or I've got no power, I'm hopeless. You don't want him to have that power over you. You want to break that completely. And this, it requires very sequential time-based steps to do that. Yes, makes sense. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'd love to have you back on in a couple of months' time and just share how it's going with you and your family and how this has helped you. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. 
So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.